Hello, welcome to the Bossit Podcast with Mark Edwards and Michael Humblett. This podcast is released every week and is an over-the-shoulder look of a frank and candid discussion between two experienced software executives, providing you with useful tips, techniques, and the latest concepts to help you grow your software business in the fast-paced digital age. So let's get into it. Here is Mark Edwards and Michael Humblett. And here we go, another podcast. Michael, Michael, can you hear me? I can hear you, Mark. Super. Did I'm you so notice? Happy. I'm, I'm so happy you, you're not calling me in the weekend. <laughs> it makes a change, doesn't it? That was last week when you yeah. fell off when you fell off your chair. That that yes, was well, actually to to yesterday. I was on stage, a lot of people. Uh, it was an um, event called Digital First in Belgium. Okay. And I was explaining the five lessons learned from scaling 150 scale-ups, etc. And uh, first time ever in my life, while I was on stage, I got like a um, how to say that, like a blood pressure dip. So suddenly, stage tilted, and I'm like, oh, so I'm hanging on this thing where you have your laptop and everything, and I, 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 I kind of get back up, and I realize I'm like in like a millisecond, I was like, damn, it's me going down here, and then I recuperated. And I lost the track of my story, so it took me a few seconds to got back in, and I got back in. Nobody really noticed. Some people that know me thought, what's going on? Yeah. And it's the first time ever. Normally on stage, you get this adrenaline rush kind of thing. And I yes. think I went immediately to the doctor, of course. Girlfriend sure. said, go to the doctor. And the doctor said, you know what? You're just trying to do way too many things at the same time, my friend. Calm down. Yes. So, Mark. You wanted to talk about sleep and stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, so so tell me, what have you been up to recently then? Have you been well, eating, right? falling off stages, falling off chairs. Chairs, uh, yeah. Have you been eating properly? Have you been I've exercising? Been eating, sleeping, doing, I mean, I sleep seven hours a night. You know, by the way, there has been this massive study on sleep. Have you, have, have you read it last week? Very no, interesting. No. So... The theory was always you need to have a certain amount of sleep. So yes. sleep deprivation doesn't work. But yeah. the study also showed that too much sleep, more than eight hours, is actually equally bad. Counterproductive. Yeah. I, have, I had heard that before. Yes. Yeah. I think you start to become lethargic. So they, yeah, they tested on, I think, 44,000 people or even wow. more. So, so and, and they also said stuff like, actually, it's the best that you always sleep a bit similar, meaning – like in the weekend sleeping on it it doesn't work from from the study eh? of course so uh, interesting i was uh, intrigued well actually that sparked off i've i've had lots and lots of meetings this week so lots of things floating around in my head including a head cold which will will account for this rather nasally sound to my voice today so apologies for that guys i thought it was your Barry White impression (laughs) (laughs) yeah It will probably get even lower towards the end. But you're saying about studies on 44,000 people. Um, I was talking to somebody I've known in the industry for years, and, and we were talking about the power of having medical devices now that can transmit information about people and the potential for that for you know studies around disease and health. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, you know, I've I've done quite a lot in the health sector, spoken to lots and lots of, of technology companies in and around health, and I can see lots of the components coming into play 
where the reality is that that we could be fairly soon wearing devices. For instance, you know, you you've had an incident there on stage, and you maybe blow uh, low blood pressure. It may be overwork. It may be a whole host of things. But you imagine wearing just a simple device around your wrist or maybe around your chest that's capturing all the vital statistics on an ongoing I, basis. I, I would have loved – actually, I went to the doctor because I thought, let's check it out. And the guy said, are you wearing an Apple Watch or something like that? would have been great if we would have looked at it. And I'm like, no. So you just gave me the excuse to buy new technology, Mark. Oh, you're all right, aren't you? Another gadget for you. <laughs> I think they've got no, a new one no out Apple as well, Watch. haven't they? Yeah, no Apple Watch because um, I, I I think I would have a problem charging it every night. Although with the phone it's the same. On the yeah. other hand, I I, th- I I see the guys with the watches. They get they get even more distracted because they're watching the watch and it trills and it vibrates. And I'm like, no 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 no. Just let's let's stick to an old school watch. Well, you, I'm getting old, Mark. I'm getting old. <laughs> you think of the amount of data that would be available. I think in that study you said about sleep, 44,000 people. Yeah. yeah I think yeah, of the yeah, potential yeah. of being able to, to study people's heart rate, their blood pressure, their temperature, to, to their movements. The prediction of it must be really like, hey, Michael, I see you're going in overdrive. It's time to calm down. Yes. But yeah. then the, the, the risk, your insurance phoning you, oh, we've just uh, doubled your fee. <laughs> yes. That's the other side. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I did some work for the uh, UK Alzheimer's Society because of my mother with, with dementia. And what they were saying, one of the critical things and what they were really focusing a lot of the research on was the, the early detection of dementia. Because if they're able to detect somebody 20 years in advance of maybe their symptoms, symptoms showing, is that they then have much longer to, to work with that person and various medications and, and treatment and what they're able what they've found is they what they believe that they can do is that they can test by looking deeply into the eyes really? so, yeah so it's like smelling cancer dogs that can smell cancer i've heard about that yes so yeah. we're really off the off the beaten track here of our, of <laughs> our, te- uh, there's technology mind. there's technology oh, there there's data sound yeah true okay so come on, let's let's go back to B two B or B two C or some real yeah. business issue. Okay, I've I've got a question. At for least you. at least pretend you know something about it. Right? <laughs> you're you're trying to get your own back for last week, aren't you? Because <laughs> because I was I was big disagreeable, wasn't I? <laughs> you did the uh, mm, noting to me, so I have to get you back on that. <laughs> yes. one. Whatever you were going to say, I was going to say I don't agree. <laughs> no, it's good to disagree. It is. We we. Need need to be able to argue and see things from different perspective and I, I did disagree with you as, so, so I said, as long as you know I'm right I'm all fine with that <laughs> yeah, yeah I do I always know that you're right in your Thank own you. mind you're always right <laughs> yeah that's all I needed to know I've got so, a question I've got a question for you yes 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 somebody said to me why is b2c software so much better designed than b2b very good question and something I noticed when I think about uh, B2B yes. is that in most cases, most cases it's actually ugly designed and I'm always saying you need a 
much better commercial design. So I think B2C from nature, because it's consumer facing, the impact of buying behavior is so massive of a nice picture of perfume of an influencer or whatever, yes. just naming some obvious ones. That, that it, it's so clear the impact, the psychology behind that people, a lot of marketeers, a lot of designers spend a lot of time on that front but they've never looked into real B2B. And you see the effect on interfaces in software. A lot of interfaces are just, because they're designed by engineers, they're functional, if at all really functional, right? Uh, Look, look, by the way, to Slack and these guys, suddenly it becomes really beautiful, much nicer. So I do think there is a big trend from uh, moving uh, more nicer design, because if you just look at all the nicely designed things, most of the time they sell pretty well. Yeah, I, I... I, I had a little bit of a problem in answering that question because I was trying to think: is that statement true? I, I think with B, to, I think with B to C, <clears throat> what we may be seeing is perhaps the later generations of software because we may be looking at new potential software to say, do I want, as a consumer myself, do I want to use this? Whereas perhaps in business we adopt a software solution that stays with the business. And maybe if but that that vendor isn't updating the user interface, don't forget there is a big trend. So something that you see is you you work in a company, you come home, yes. and all the tools you use at home, Facebook, Google Drive, I mean, all the stuff you use at home looks ten times better than the stuff the software you use at work. So there is a big trend of people coming back into the office and using all these little tools, which is a big risk for a company yes. uh, on several levels, but. I think the consumer the, 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 at home, every B2B person is at home a consumer. I think they are pushing the market to, to make much more beautiful things. I mean, if I just look at interface for CRM, just taking one obvious example, yes. as time has gone, gone by, I mean, Salesforce has a pretty nice interface, by the way. That's the biggest one. But if I yeah. look at most of these CRMs, more and more, they all look very appealing and, and, and you want to use them, you want to click them, and they look really nice. Old school CRM. Think dynamics. If I take look old school CRM, it just looks clunky. Look at old school SAP. Looks really like what is this thing? It that's that's an interesting point actually because just as you as you were saying that you're right. You come home and you start using a B two C solution. If yeah. that if that isn't nice to use, if it isn't got a sexy user interface, you chop prob- it. I chop it. If I go if I'm part of a larger organization. And, and there's software there that I need to use, it's much more difficult for me to chop it, as you say. One of the things that annoyed me for like 18, 19 years was I, it was so hard to get sales to fill in CRM. Oh, yes. We talked about this. Yeah. And I yeah. think one of the key causes for that is two things. One, it's just not functional and, and ugly. And why would you fill it in? It just doesn't work. And two, yeah. of course, you have a bit of a process issue when if you ask too many things to fill in, you go nuts. The system needs to work for you. So if you look at new CRMs, they basically integrate with everything and they will pre-fill stuff so it becomes much easier and easier and easier. But I think the combination of a much nicer interface, more functional, the mix, the blend of that makes the new CRM so attractive, much more attractive. Do you, do you... I, I got a Mark. I have to tell you this. I got a. I was discussing with a very large consultancy. Can't tell you which one. And they asked me, uh, "We're looking into sales training, uh, Michael. Uh, uh, can we talk about sales training?" So yeah. they, I said, "Could you send me the material you currently use?" So they sent me an Excel sheet 
which all of their sales need to fill in. Listen to this. It had eight tabs. Every tab had about 50 lines. It, Of course, it was Miller in mind. It was one of the big, yeah. uh, let's say, I'm going to call them old school. I'm really sorry. The <laughs> Excel was really ugly. It was very solution selling. And I just looked at it and I thought, you will have so bad data because it's so many questions. One, you will not be able to answer. Two, nobody will ever really want to fill it in. You spend a day filling in this thing. And I said, yeah, but Michael, we need all this data. I said, no, you management need the data to feel secure. Things are going fine. But reality is they just fill in crap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but uh, it didn't really work. My sales pitch was going horribly wrong, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, it's it. We don't. We are used to really good design now. A lot of the time, aren't we? You know, even the the, the sort of hardware ergonomics. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of thought and money got into it. I mean, we use iPhones. Why do we use iPhones and not those phones that we used to have maybe 15 years ago? Those flip phones and things like that. The design, they didn't feel as nice. I didn't. By the way, I, I advise a lot of my um, B2B clients, most of them. I say, just just make sure it looks good, even if it's not yet fully done. If it just looks the part, if it just looks really attractive, people believe in beauty. People think beauty will save them. And then yeah. just, just one, it's simple as that, I think. Well, doesn't it imply quality? You know, yeah, it, yeah, actually, it, 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 it inherently implies quality. You, what? Now, you cannot make... Jokes about no, let's not go there. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking, but I'm just saying no. You're right. I think beauty, in a way, or really nice design, implies quality, if, and it can be rather sober. Eh, by the way, when you when you go into, say, for instance, a Mercedes or a BMW or a, a Range Rover, what to you helps to convey the feeling of quality? Because after all, a car is a big part of that is about the engine. But before the engine is even turned on, what gives you the feeling that you're entering a car of quality? I, for me, it's, it's – I mean, they did a lot of studies around this. You know that. So yeah. the, the, for the theory is when you open the door and it's the way the door Absolutely. sounds and yes. feels. And then the weight of for the me, door. it's the smell of the leather, of yes. course. And then it's the way the leather is being – been crafted and, and you, the, the little inlays that give you this very luxurious feeling, actually. Well, I used to have a Jaguar, and, it, and the Jaguar, it was the wood, you know, the... You, you sold it? I did, yes. <laughs> no, Mark. It was a... Seriously? Yeah, I had. You, you promised that I could drive that thing. No, it, it was too fast for you, Michael. You just wouldn't have been able to handle that sort of power. <laughs> no, it was it was a racing car on the road. It was crazy. So I had it for 18 months. But then, but when inside the car, Jaguars were always, you get inside of and they have to have the bit of wood going round. They wanted to convey it. I hadn't even turned on the engine, but you you, you get that that feeling that it's quality. It must be the same with software. You open it up, even as it's opening up, you get a feeling about, is, is this going to be? You're making judgments all the time, like you do when you meet a person. They say that you make a judgment about somebody in the first 30 seconds, and after that, you're looking for information to back up your initial assessment. Is it not the same yeah. with software? I'm pretty sure it is. The thing is, in B2B, we have to look at decision makers that need to make a decision for a big group of people. So are they yeah. still so in? I don't know. I don't know. 
I'm just curious. I don't know the answer, Mark. Well, it's it's the decisions for a, a big, you know, a B two B enterprise solution doesn't go down necessarily to. They're not going to hold a vote. They're not going to get all the users together to say, "Do you think this soft this software looks sexy?" But <laughs> it is important because you and I know there's software solutions out there that uh some really well-known ones I mean, open so, so open text you know open text i heard i heard um allegedly i better add that word that only 30 percent of the software licenses are really used because no one likes using it yeah but yeah that's, that's one and two they would always oversell you they would push you to i mean that's a different thing yeah they would also completely oversize the deal yeah which which by the way oh. eventually Will hurt them massively because people are paying. But we're not saying that open text do that in any way. By no, the way. no, no, no. I'm not, companies, no, I'm some saying companies, companies do. in yes. general. Yes, that's right. Yeah, no, there are. There's the joke about shelfware, isn't there? You know, companies <laughs> that in the past they've, they've sold software and it just sits on sits on the shelf, um, yeah. not being used because people, the users don't like using it. So it does have some implication, doesn't it? I don't, and it may be that the, the B2B world is just a little bit behind the B2C. B2C is so much dependent upon, do I do I like this? How many times have you tried a bit of software, you've played about with it for 10 minutes, you've thought, this is rubbish, I don't like this, and you never look at it again? No, true. That, that's your but, appraisal. Yeah. But then they, they put it under the, the, the name of customer experience and CX, and then it's about the onboarding. I mean, there's lots of different factors, of course, but no, I agree. I've got another question for you because I've had lots of questions oh, thrown at me. So many questions. I know. Yeah. Well, I've got a head cold, so I thought I'll get you working this time because it's much easier to ask questions than yeah. it is answer. If it's too hard, I fall, you know, I get... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I fall yeah. to my <laughs> if, if I hear this crash and then there's no yeah. more answers, you I'm going to... like really quiet. Yeah. It's either that's... two things. Either the Belgium internet has stopped yeah. or it's Michael. <laughs> You've killed over. And then I'm going to have 15 minutes of talking to myself that's going to be difficult i would phone for an ambulance though first so don't worry now my question is pricing strategy for b2b oh. please please discuss yes so so very good so one the major thing you need to know is every pricing needs context that's number one right you can't just Come in yeah, and say, sure. this car is 200K. You need to give context. Also in B2B. So one, you need to have that context. Two, I absolutely believe in upsell mechanisms. You have to have a sliced model for the simple reason that um, if you just sell one product, you so imagine you sell one product, everything in there. If I ask you, make me a quote of 100K, you're probably going to say, I'm going to sell you 10 times the same thing, right? Which purely from a sales strategy point of view, you will have big issues in the negotiation because you will have to go down in volume pricing, all of that. What I want to do is use, I would suggest to slice and dice the product into two or three tiers so that you can actually make sure that you can pre-frame so you can say, well, the third tier is more expensive, but people look at it and say, yeah, it's too expensive. I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to go one level down. But in essence, you've basically pushed your price up. What would what would be differentiating those tiers? Explain to me a little bit more about those. Most tiers. of the time, it's features. If you let's okay. take an easy example, software as a service, 
very simple. You see it in very small amounts. You sometimes see it in a large way. For instance, tier one gives you a bit of functionality. Tier two gives you a ton more functionality. And tier three, the very high-end corporate stuff right. that has things like single sign-on and, you know, the classic corporate features. Yeah, we used to see it a lot with the, the Ceph software. It'd be bronze, silver, and gold or standard silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they sort of they've... Thing. They, they change stuff like Galaxy, and they call yes. it they call it what. Yeah. So, but I still believe that pre-framing actually really, really, really works. I mean, purely from a negotiation point of view, it really works too. There is an aspect that a lot of companies just don't completely forget, and that's something I've learned with startups and, and scale-ups. They build a product, and it's pretty hard to maintain all the features of the product, but they don't know exactly if you put it all in one bucket, which which thing, which feature you need to prioritize in their development. That's why I start cutting and slicing and dicing it because I, I say, look, if you take out some of the more advanced features, right, and you put it in another tier, then you go out and sell it. You don't develop it yet. You know your sale, especially corp, is going to take eight months, 12 months. You show that as a vision and they'll tell you, I'm going to pay for that. I'm not going to pay for that. And, and then you know what to develop. It's a much easier and way of developing and it relieves some burden from the developer community. Yeah. That's something a lot of people underestimate completely. That's that's if that could be the biggest reason why you need to um cut it in parts. The second reason is of course is upsell and is is pre-framing your price. You know you know the trick. You you go to the you talked about a car. You go to the car dealer. First car you see every single time the biggest car, the best yes. car, the yes. most expensive. Yeah. Pre-framing. I want that. I can't all, pay. All the all of the, the extras. It's got everything yeah. on there. Yeah. yeah. And then you go to the next one. And then you say, I'm going to take the one that's a bit lower, and I'm going to take the rims of the, the expensive one. By the way, that is the reason, number one, why every Porsche you see, every Porsche from small to big, they all have the same rims. They all have the rims of the very expensive ones because everybody wants the big, really expensive ones. They can't afford the car, so they'll take expensive rims. It's oh. funny, yeah, but just pay attention to that. I'll look out for that. Yeah. I know you will. Yeah. I know you want to replace that Jaguar by something good. <laughs> that something, was the from, something from the continent, maybe, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> the Jackie was God. It's God. It's history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll show you next time you come over. I'll take you for a ride. You, you, you'll, show me, you'll show me an empty spot in the gap. Yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> Look, this, Michael, is, this, is where, this is where he used to sit. <laughs> it was, so, so, it was on, What do you me. think about pricing? Sorry, what do I think about what? Pricing. Pricing. Well, it, when you were talking about the tiers... I was trying to remember there was an experiment done many years ago, which actually relates exactly to that point that you made, which was about giving people choice meant that they more often made a decision. So what, what we mean by that is if you were, if you go back to somebody, I can't remember the exact experiment. I'll see if I can find it, but I've actually got a very good ex- example from my own experience is that if you go back and you give the, the choice of one, you'll get less people buying than if you give them a choice of three. They may still buy the same option, and that was actually part of the experiment, but they feel that they've made a choice. Now, my... But it's human, it's human behavior, right? If yeah. I tell you what to do, you're not going to do it. You want to do something else. Yeah. My, my experience goes back to actually working in a shop when I was a student. I work, worked in a photographic shop, and we had a range of photographic enlargements. Uh, typically, the, the photographers that used to come in there were amateur photographers. So we had a range. I was actually interested in a particular enlarger that was more expensive than their top-end range. And 
I ordered it because I wanted to buy it. So we added it to that range. We put it in the lineup. When people mm -hmm. came in to talk about the enlargers, I would take them from the very basic right the way up to this top end one. Very few people bought the very expensive one that I brought in. They bought the one below. A few did, but we sold yeah. more enlargers because yeah. they had no need to go anywhere else because we'd given them a complete range. They it's felt framing. Yeah, it's pre I was able to give them a lot of information from the basic to the top end, and I've said, "What works for you? What is it you're specifically after?" And we sold a lot more. We really did. Same effect, same concept, bit bit yeah, different. You walk into a electro shop and you want to buy a television. They have fifty televisions. You can't decide. Good salesman, what will he do? He will take you and he will say, "What are you looking for?" Okay, I'm going to show you three models. Basic. Very good that everyone takes and a very expensive one. Yes. Good, but you might not need it. Everybody's going to buy the middle one. He decides what you buy. I have tested this for my kids. Real story. How do you get your kids to eat vegetables? You can scream at them. It's not going to work. Right? So you have to give them choice. So what you do is you say, listen, you can eat uh, chicken with carrots or you can eat chicken with broccoli. <laughs> And I tell you, it works for at least three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could say chicken with Brussels sprouts. Because no, kids, we, yeah, typically, they don't like Brussels sprouts, do they? No, no, that's true. That's true. Actually, yeah, they don't. That's... Maybe if you fry, it, fry them with sugar, it, it could work. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Anything with sugar. Um, something else that uh, came up a few times in the last couple of weeks i've had lots and lots of meetings with all different types of companies uh, been sitting down with a colleague and uh, we've been sitting in london and we've just had meeting after meeting after meeting which is it's been good quite tiring but but really good we've had a, a wide mixture of companies that we've been talking to but quite interesting there's been a few of the sort of low ends the startup businesses mm -hmm. and two of them I was really quite surprised by both of them. Two of them are pre-revenue. Pre-revenue. Yeah. 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 They're talking. Yeah. They're it's funny that they talk to you actually. Yeah. Looking yeah. at your business because pre-revenue. I mean, you kind of first need to prove something maybe when you want to do exit well, strategies, or is that really? Am I wrong? Well, we are. We we are. I I we're not a typical M&A company. I I actually say to people now that. It's very difficult to put a tick box and say we're an M&A company. We're a software specialist company that does M&A. And I talk about us being a full cycle M&A yeah, company. Because we, we are interested in, in some of the really new startup businesses on occasion to a certain yeah. number. Because if you get it right, they can be big very quickly. And I think we can help them to get big very quickly and more valuable and help them grow in the right way. So I'm interested. But these two businesses... They hadn't sold at all. They'd put their money into development, nothing into marketing. They were both of looking. Course. They were both looking to get additional money to, to finish their product. Of course, but hadn't considered doing any marketing at all. No, so they were actually really, really late because they forgot that it could take a year to sell stuff. Well, the other thing is, I, I think it hmm. go out and market it. Go I rather have the opposite. It. Mark, I really rather have the opposite. Yeah. I heard a guy talking today with a company called BuildEye. He was telling his story and he he had an idea. He he went to several companies with the 
with the problem and he actually showed them mock-ups. And then one of the companies, I'm interested, then he actually found a team in Ukraine who built, who built pieces of like interfaces, not doing really, but kind of clickable stuff. Yeah. And then these guys said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to pay. And then he explained to them, yeah, it's not fully done. It's going to take a bit of months, but I mean, you get it at a very reduced rate. And he said, I build it from the bottom up with everything has been funded by customers. And he says, now I, I actually really know where they want to spend their money because if you just develop, 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 you yeah. don't know if people are really I – mean, you can do research, but nobody really knows they want to put the money on the table. But I might be wrong, Mark. And, I might be a sales guy. But... And do you know why this is? It goes, it goes back to one of my observations is that a business will be built in the profile of the original founder. So if they are a technical guy, they love the technology, they're perhaps a, they're a programmer, developer in the past, they focus on developing. You don't, yeah. you don't, if, I, I think if you get a founder who was a real marketeer, he might start being more marketing led. But I think if you were to go out and, and pre-sell or pre-market that, that solution and your market comes back and says, actually, we're not interested. <laughs> actually, the guy that told the story while you're saying this, yeah. his background is he used to run a sales strategy company. There you go. It's funny. Yeah. It, I think if I had to launch a product, I would do exactly the same. Yeah. Go sell it first and then fix the rest and hope and it you, would go fine. And do you know what the worst problem would be? You've got 20 customers chasing you to say, when are you going to release it? Isn't, yeah. isn't that a great problem to have? Rather yeah, I, I, than yeah, spend hundreds so. of thousands developing a product that nobody wants or developing it in a way that people aren't interested or yeah. just running out of money because you've got you sell it because you haven't got any money left for marketing. And you've used up all your family, friends, and your so, network. So what did you do? You started shaking the tree and started hitting them with with your charm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She said, hey, if you have some money left, I have a Jaguar. <laughs> I, had, um, I had a colleague with me, and I, I think on one of these meetings, I was I, – I, to me, to be frank to somebody is actually to be a friend. <laughs> and I came up with a frank response – and uh, my colleague said, no, it's all right. He's always like this. He just... <laughs> but honestly, I think sometimes you have got to be cruel to be kind. You have got no, to shake no, them. No, no, yeah, no. shake the tree a little bit. You have. You've got to make them I, think. I, yeah. I, I've been more and more, as time progresses, I become more and more candid in the right, nicest yes. way. Yes. How but you I deliver think it's my duty to tell you, but I have to say it in a nice way because otherwise the message is never going to resonate. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, want to come and see me again? So perhaps I haven't upset them that much. Maybe they're coming back with a baseball bat this time. I don't know. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you've got to be who you are, aren't you? You've got to, you've got to tell the truth, I think. I think that's really True. important. True. Well, we've got to 30 minutes, which I'm quite relieved about, actually, because I'm going to have a, an early day today because uh, I want to shake this head cold. And uh, you've, you've been fainting on stage, so you need yeah. to go and have a rest. Uh, I, I will actually uh, go and have an easy weekend. Go and do some exercise. Go do something different. Yeah. Have you got? Have you got my chickens? You talk to <laughs> you talk to chickens. Lucy, isn't it? Lucy the chicken was in our earlier episode. <laughs> have you got a bike? Yeah, I do some. I live on a mountain bike trail actually. Yeah. Pass by. Go so out and do some cycling. I think I should do it. Great, <laughs> especially if you can get off road. It's it's a great way to uh, get some exercise. So uh, there were a few. There were a few questions. Uh, I've had quite a we few people. We kind of treated them in the in the during the during the the podcast of the questions. 
yeah we have we have had some uh, questions but i'm getting some good feedback every week now i'm getting people saying yeah we've been listening to your podcast and uh yeah it's, it's quite interesting we don't get many people saying could you do this we do get a few questions or change it perhaps they just like it as it is that's just sort of waffling on i i, I would really encourage everybody to ask um like um, activation questions to Mark, like Mark, could you pretend to be a dog or stuff like that? I would, <laughs> I would really love you to do that. It would, it would just enlighten the show a bit. Yeah. Well, I thought this week, I you fell off your chair, so maybe I could outdo you, and I'll stand on my desk and and fall yeah. off the desk. You yeah. know, when they will have to. I'm very competitive. Do this live with a video, so people actually see us <laughs> talking, right? <laughs> Actually, if you were to see my desk, I've got one of these desks. I don't know if you can hear this. I push a button. Can you hear that? I have one of those too. It and actually, stand-up desk. I mean, I bought one in the IKEA because they said I, and 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 I love it because it it keeps me my energy the whole day. Yeah. Around three, four o'clock, I need to sit down, and then I have one of those things that. You know, you never rest, it moves. That's why I fell off the chair because they are not really stable. That's the whole <laughs> trick for your back. Uh, so, uh, yeah, true. Good to talk to you again today, Michael. You, and uh, we made it. Tough week. You've you've been fainting. I've got a head cold, but we did it anyway. Brilliant to speak to you. Good to speak to you. Great weekend. And you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye.